0: You've probably heard how the well-known author and thinker G.K. Chesterton was once asked by the Times newspaper, what is wrong with the world? Kind of a broad question. G.K. Chesterton's response was as humbly candid as it was brief. He wrote back to the Times newspaper, dear sirs, what's wrong with the world, you ask? I am. I am what is wrong with the world. Now, whether or not this interaction between G.K. Chesterton and the Times newspaper, whether it actually factually happened is actually debated. There's not really much record of it. But the sentiment of this interaction is spot on and applicable to us this morning. What is wrong with the world? Why why is the world so full of conflict because the world is full of broken people who see and speak and act according to their own limited and and fallen vantage points. Jesus says in Matthew 18, where two or more people are gathered, there I will be also. And yet humorously, we might even say, where two or more people are gathered, there will be conflict. And even in the church... Conflict. Uh, To illustrate this, I've asked these questions before. Don't answer these out loud unless you want to start a civil war. How should Christians rightly respond to COVID? Should we, as Christians, drink alcohol? Should we vote at all, or Republican or Democrat? How should the 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 church steward its finances? And tell me, which theology is most biblical, pre-millennialism, ah, millennialism, or post-millennialism? We're going to start punching each other out if we start talking about this too much. Calvinism or Arminianism? How should Christians handle the law and baptism and communion, the other ordinance uh, given to us by Christ, where two or more of us, even Christians, are gathered? There is going to be conflict. Now, does God I believe that God's word addresses all of those questions that I have just issued but we're not all at the same time at the same place in the same understanding of all of these things we're not all together and so what do Christians do when there is conflict when conflict arises among us When conflict threatens the unity of our marriages and families and even this local church, none further, further, the conflict wheel keeps going. What do we do when we find ourselves as believers in conflict with the unbelieving world around us? I guess the question I'm asking, and I think you probably know why I'm asking it. Our passage is about to address it. What do we do with conflict? We continue our series this morning through the book of Philippians, and I believe that the Apostle Paul provides us, God, through the Apostle Paul, provides an answer to these questions. And so remember, writing from House arrest in Rome. Paul has just, in verses 19 through 26, he's just updated the church in Philippi on his condition in house arrest. He's explained and expressed how he's not totally sure if he's going to be released from prison or be executed for preaching Christ. But Paul's resolve last week is amazing, as our brother Mitch Marcheski preached. You know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That is Paul's mantra, it's his ethos. It's astounding. And so Paul in in verses 19 through 26 has just, you know, updated the the church in Philippi. I don't know if I'm going to get out or not. I think I probably am for your sake to serve you, but I don't know. And now in verses 27 through 30, Paul turns his focus toward the Philippians. And I would invite you to follow along as I read these few verses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Father, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to understand this word, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would apply it to our minds and hearts, that you, God, would renew us, challenge us, convict us, lead us to repentance and forgiveness. And walking in righteousness as we ought in Jesus' name. Amen. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, let your every thought, your every word and deed, Let it all reflect the gift of forgiveness and eternal life that has been granted to you in Christ Jesus. This opening verse is God's command to his people in every sphere of our lives. It should be written on our ceilings and walls and bathroom mirrors and our phones and computers and TVs. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And there are many ways we could rightly apply this. But here in our passage, Paul is specifically applying this command. He is applying it to conflict and the way we ought to walk Gospel-saturated followers of Christ, if you're a note-taker, here are my two points. Gospel-saturated followers of Christ must, number one, must endure conflict within the church. Two, and must engage conflict alongside the church. Of course, I'll explain what I mean by those, but those are the two thoughts we will spend the remainder of our time under I believe those thoughts summarize the passage we've just read. Let's look at number one. We must endure conflict within the church. So again, not knowing for sure whether he will be released or executed, Paul exhorts his dear Philippian brothers and sisters in Christ in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I am released and come and see you or or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, Paul's words here stand firm, strive, those words especially in the Greek, they tell us a bit about Paul's audience. Stand firm is a military command. Like, hold your ground, soldier. Do not budge. And this wording would have deeply resonated with the former soldiers who were living in Philippi and likely part of the Philippian church. And the word strive, side by side, is an athletic term. Like, like, run, endure, go after it, strive side by side. And this resonates with any of the Greek athletes who are likely members of the congregation in Philippi. Very athletic city. And so these words are, are, are very purposefully, intentionally chosen. And, and what does Paul say? Strive side by side until you all perfectly agree and see eye to eye on Everything. I hope you caught that. That I tried to make as obvious as possible. Striving side by side in one spirit, one mind, for the faith of the gospel. Here's our base camp, the gospel. Don't separate you Philippians over secondary things as Important as some secondary things might be, don't separate over them in your local church. O Philippians and O Wasterians, and so oh, we how we respond to COVID. Don't don't separate over that. What the best practices for communion and baptism? Don't don't separate over our, the best practice. Look, we should have lots of hard conversations about these things, but. You know, and, and don't separate over whether or not Christians can or should or might, you know, have you know a drink of alcohol in moderation. These things are important. God's word speaks to these things, but don't allow your conflicting understandings of these things to tear your fellowship limb from limb. When a When a molehill of a conflict arises between you and a fellow believer, do not forget the Mount Everest of commonality that you have under the blood of Christ. I once had a grown man on one of my ministry teams. You're going to soon understand why I emphasize grown man. I once had a grown man who insisted, this is not in this church, He insisted on preparing coffee for Sunday gatherings all by himself. The other volunteers just didn't get coffee. They didn't understand his hyper-intense love of coffee. And so he asked me if I would find another place for all of those coffee volunteers to serve. And firstly, I thanked him for his commitment to good coffee. I appreciate that. But then I explained to him how a solo venture misses the entire point of serving the body of Christ with the body of Christ. And when he realized that I wasn't going to budge, he jumped off the Mount Everest of commonality that he and I had shared for 10 years in Christ. And as he and his wife literally broke fellowship with the church, he said, I can't wait for you to be fired and I will dance on your grave. Over coffee! Now, a grown, a grown man, I have to emphasize that again. He was older than me, much older than me. I know that that's an extreme example. Y'all have probably faced similar things where it's like, wait a minute, we're going to break our local fellowship, our unity in Christ over this? What color the, the pews were painted? What? The drapes? What? Or even, even some more important, theological issues. It's still, I think that the tone of what Paul is getting at here is the secret for guarding against this kind of division. It's spelled out in the second half of verse 27. Stand firm in one spirit, side by side for the faith of the gospel. Why? The gospel. So let me ask you, Do you believe that God the Son came to earth, a man, to live the morally perfect life that we have refused to live, to earn for us God's righteous acceptance and then die the sinner's death that we all deserve? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he was only to rise as the miraculous guarantee that those who forsake sin and trust him for forgiveness are reconciled to God and promised life after death to dwell with him forever in a new creation of wholeness and fullness and goodness and glory, purged of death, disease, and destruction forevermore. Do you believe that? Are you striving? Are you standing firm in that and striving to forsake sin while trusting that Christ is gonna bring to completion the saving work he has begun Gun in you. If your answer to any of that is yes, you and I might have a million conflicting convictions, and some of which will very likely merit our getting together to talk over coffee. But the conviction that we have in common, my goodness, gracious," is more than enough to keep our arms linked together so that we strive side by side for the faith of this gospel. This is what Paul is getting at in verse 27. This is how important that gospel message is. O Philippians, O Wisterians, endure conflict that will happen in your local church, and this is how you endure it. Always, always, always come back to what you have in common. Come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may have conflict over what translation of Scripture is best. You may have conflict over spiritual gifts like tongues and healing. You may have conflict over exactly how old you think the earth is down to the day and a myriad of other important issues. I'm not making these unimportant. They are. They're in God's Word. We must go after them. However... Come back to the common denominator with me. As Oaks, come back constantly to the common common denominator with me. Christ, 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 Christ. His remission of our sin, his atonement of us by his blood. Christ, we are reconciled to God the Father through Christ. Christ, Christ, his righteousness, our righteousness. Christ, Christ, Christ. For it has been granted to you, verses 29 and 30, jump down with me. It's been granted to you, Philippians, and you believing Wisterians, I would add, that's my my add, (laughs) that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. Now pause for a second. Did you hear the way Paul describes our common belief as a gift? It has been granted to you, That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Look at this next word, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He's writing from imprisonment. He still has this conflict. Verses 29 and 30 help us to understand that one of the reasons for point number one, one of the reasons we must endure conflict within the church is because there is a bigger conflict happening outside the church and it requires our united engagement of it. Point number two, we must engage conflict alongside one another in the church. Outside the church. In verses 28, 29, and and 30, three things are clear. And I'm just going to give you the A, B, and C, the the one, two, and three. Three things that are clear. And then I'm just going to spend the remainder of our time talking about them all in no particular order. Three things are clear, though, in verses 28, 29, 30. As followers of Christ, we're going to face conflict. That's just totally implied here. And we're going to face it for what we believe in the midst of an unbelieving world. Look, Paul tells us as much throughout this letter. Jesus tells us as much throughout the Gospels. Peter, James, John, the writer of Hebrews, look, the New Testament is replete with this guarantee. As God's people, we're going to face backlash. We're going to. And... If we're not facing backlash, this isn't my point, but I just want to insert a quick commercial. If we're not facing any, any conflict for our faith, it's because we are either not, we're not adequately letting the light of Christ shine in us, through us, or we are too isolated from any and all unbelievers so that we're not feeling any friction of our engagement with them. Because we're guaranteed to face conflict because of our, on behalf of our beliefs for the name of Christ in the midst of a community that does not share our convictions. The second thing that's clear in these verses, when such conflict arises, we have, and I chose my words carefully here, we have as believers a privileged obligation to courageously engage conflict alongside our fellow believers. And then the third thing we see that's clear in these verses is Paul tells us why these these sorts of things are important. And so, yeah, that was probably disorganized and disheveled, but just go with me on this. This is the first gathering. I'll just make sure all this is polished for the next gathering. (laughs) As Paul writes this letter the Philippians are facing the very same opposition and external pressure that he faced when he was with them, remember back to Acts chapter 16 when he came and he was ministering to Lydia, the, 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 the wealthy seller of purple goods by the riverfront, and then he healed that woman from the divinity, the the unclean spirit that was in her, and it got he and Silas beat up and thrown in prison, and the Romans were not happy about the gospel message coming to Philippi. And remember, Philippi is an astute colony of Rome with all the rights and privileges and worldly pursuits as Rome and so what the Philippians are facing right now as Paul writes this letter every time one of them prioritize their allegiance to God over their allegiance to Caesar and every time they place their heavenly citizenship above their Roman citizenship as they ought it incites angry backlash from their zealously Roman neighbors it's an intense moment to follow Christ in the city of Philippi while Paul is writing this letter. And yet, what does he urge them in 28? not to be frightened in anything by their opponents. To be frightened, don't, don't be frightened. And Paul has every right to urge them in this way. Not only has Christ already spoken, you know, in this world, you're gonna have tribulation, but take heart, Don't fear, I've overcome the world, I'm with you. Not only has has Paul heard this and the Philippians have heard this, but but Paul is right now, he has and is, as he writes this, he is fearlessly, personally experiencing the same exact opposition that he writes to them. Don't be afraid. What you are facing, I'm facing, I'm facing it right now. And then let's further notice something. Paul doesn't just tell the Philippians not to be afraid of opposition in verse 28. In 29 and 30, he reminds them that suffering opposition is in fact a gift. It's a gift that is to be engaged alongside our brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, the church. So let, for for one second, Suffering opposition is a gift from God? Remember with me back to Acts chapter five. After the apostles are first beaten, all the apostles, they experience their first good beating by the Jewish council for preaching Christ. And when they're finally released, they do so rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for Christ. Look, I'm gonna make this personal and say it you. When Christ is your hero, when he is your Lord and master and savior and delight and dependence and your treasure, when he is all of those things in your life, replicating his walk and bearing the reproach of his name becomes a mysterious honor. We just wanna be like him. And we're being granted the gift of being able to be like him, not only in that we believe, but that we can suffer opposition like he did. Bearing, picking up and bearing our crosses as is the command for all who would be disciples of Christ but there's another reason why suffering opposition is a gift. There's a reason why it is actually a good thing when you go downtown Worcester and you're wearing Christ on your sleeve in a loving and and compassionate and yet forthright way and you get jeered or taunted or put in your place. There There is another reason why this is a gift. Paul tells us in our passage, in the second half of 28, there's a merciful evangelistic purpose why we must courageously engage the world's opposition. When we do, when we courageously, fearlessly engage the world's opposition, Paul writes this, it is a clear sign to them of their destruction and of your salvation from God. Whoa, that's packed. Here's what this means for us today. I'm gonna go right into the application of, of that line when biblically minded Christians fearlessly engage, let's just use the big conflicts for a quick example, abortion, gay marriage, transgenderism, racism, classism, and nationalism. Verse 28 tells us that when we courageously engage these things, it not only serves as a reminder that we are saved, because we're not of this world, we're not following the same trends, we're not of the same sinful and fallen mindset that we used to be. It not only reminds us that we're saved when we engage fearlessly in conflict outside the church and with the church, it reminds our unbelieving hearers of their impending destruction. There is a mercy. In opposing people who do not agree with what God says in His word, there is a mercy. It reminds, "You are not me and I am not you." And guess what the word tells us. I'm going to be resurrected to life. You're going to be resurrected to death." Repent. There is a mercy in engaging conflict courageously. The big conflicts that I've just mentioned are easy to spot. They're all over the news. They're all over social media, all that stuff. What about, this is where my thinking went this week, what about the more subtle conflicts that you and I have the opportunity to courageously engage in our lives each day? Here's an illustration of what I mean by that. In college, I went to a Christian college, I thought I had everything figured out. But the mere presence of this very courageous and outspoken Jesus freak of a dude in my dorm. I mean, he was just Jesus this and Jesus that all the time. The mere presence of him around constantly reminded me deep down that I was wrong about a lot of things that I was flirting with spiritual disaster. And some of the political views I was adopting in college, some of the theological views I was adopting, I wasn't a pro-choice leader, I wasn't a gay marriage advocate, I wasn't a white supremacist, and I certainly wasn't an anti-Christian Roman officer like the Philippians are facing. I was just a lot more mellow. I was a lot more subtle in my opposition toward the truths of scripture. Even in my actions, I was a film major, and so the movies that I was just engulfed in, watching and studying, horrible, morally decayed, and it was changing me. But because of this young man, he was so constant and courageous and compassionate, and he wore Christ on his sleeve so consistently, it was a reoccurring sign to me a professed believer of the destruction that awaits those who don't wholly submit to Christ. And I think that that kind of conflict engagement might be even some, it might be most applicable to us. Look, there's not a... um, you know, a, a gay marriage rights parade going on today where we can go downtown, and I don't even know if I would do that. I, I don't know that that's how I would, I would, I, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it that way. You know, holding up a sign and you're all gonna burn. I wouldn't do it that way. But my, my, my point is that that's those are easy. Those are kind of easy. What about in our relationship? What, let me put it in the you. When you're friends, when you're, when you're unbelieving friends, or you're, Nominal Christian friend, well, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person. You know what I mean by that? So when, when, when those friends are over at your house and they are clearly, by the way that they speak and act, they're clearly preoccupied with money and houses and cars and status. Clearly, it's all they talk about. In, in this moment, believer in Christ, do you courageously Take the opportunity to engage that spiritual conflict that is present. It's idolatry. Y'all, with your, with your zealous pursuit of, the, of, of cash and stat, you are worshiping an idol, a false god. Do you, in that subtle moment of, again, it's subtle, do you take the opportunity to fearlessly share the gospel of Christ When your coworkers are sitting with you at lunch and they are clearly obsessed with climbing the ladder, stockpiling assets and digging a 401k so deep that they can swim in the security of it. I'm just building the kingdom for myself and it's not gonna topple. Where is the gospel when that is happening? Bringing it up. Representing Christ in that moment is as merciful to them of their eternal destruction that is coming as it is when we go to the abortion clinic and try to help mothers who are on the fence to see the sanctity and gift of life. We kid ourselves by thinking if I vote a certain way, I'm, I'm engaging conflict. Yeah, a little bit. But what about when it gets real uncomfortable in your house? And you hear and you see these patterns of life that ah, 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 that's not dripping with Jesus, that's world. God, give us the boldness. Because when we are bold enough to, with the gospel, striving side by side together through our lesser conflicts, when we're bold enough to engage these big conflicts I mean, people are going to face disaster because they worship the security and status of their own kingdom. They're gonna face eternal disaster over that. It is a mercy for us. What Paul says, it not only reminds us that we're saved because we're not like that. I'm not going to engage that, but I am going to engage it with my mouth and my life. I'm going to show you because it's going to be a reminder to It's going to be a clear reminder to you. You and I are not on the same page. Gosh, if we were just bold enough to do that with the people that are in our homes, I wonder if there might be a small revival in Worcester. Or at the very least, people who think they're believers and you know coasting underneath of this, uh, the, the nominal Christian sort of radar. I'm, mean, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person, I work hard. Look at the car I drive, I'm a Christian. Are you seeing that with me in this text? And do we understand that not engaging this kind of conflict, that not offering Christ and his truth to them by keeping silent or even nodding our head in agreement with where our friends are going, Do we not see how unloving and unmerciful that is? Where is their warning that they're flirting with spiritual eternal disaster? And so engaging such conflict is an assurance to us. It reminds us we are not of this world and it also serves as a warning to those who are in the world no matter how much they're trying to pretend that they're part of the church. Look, if any of this strikes a chord of conviction, I know that I've been kind of all over the place this morning, but if somehow the Holy Spirit has used any of what God's word says here to to strike a chord of conviction, that is a really good posture for what we are about to enjoy together as the saints of Christ, the Lord's Supper. Keeping in mind what we've just seen in the word, enduring conflict within the church, engaging conflict alongside the church. Hebrews 12, one and two, this is my transition into our time at the Lord's table. Hebrews 12, one and two reminds us the reason we can endure conflict and hardship with one another is because Christ endured the agony of the cross on our behalf. His endurance on our behalf, on behalf of his church, it secured our ability to endure with one another. We must also understand that Jesus' enduring our sin-soaked conflict was also his engaging us in our sin-soaked conflict This is what makes the God of the Bible so different from all other lowercase g-gods of the world's religions. Because here, our God did not passively wait for us to dust ourselves off and become good enough to rise up into his kingdom. No, at the cross, he came down into our sinful mess. He entered into our war zone. He engaged our conflict by hanging on the cross. And so we must understand that when we endure conflict within the church for the sake of Christ, and when we engage conflict alongside the church for the sake of Christ, we're not doing anything Christ hasn't already done. We're not doing him any favors. We're not earning ourselves a spot in his kingdom at all. We are simply following in his footsteps. Take up your cross and follow me, he commands and invites. Have you mocked or belittled or sloughed off or slandered a fellow blood-bought believer this week? take of the bread and the cup in a spirit of humble repentance? Have you hunkered down? Have you avoided engaging any conflict whatsoever? Have you hidden out and you know, forbidden to represent, or forsaken representing Christ in front of your unbelieving neighbors or coworkers or friends? Have you failed to let your every thought, word, or deed reflect the gift of forgiveness and eternal life that has been granted you by Jesus? I know the answer to all of these for me, And so take that posture if you can resonate and let's take of the bread and cup in a spirit of humble repentance. In union with our fellow believers, this is where the the term communion gets here. It is the church, it is the men and women who are able to confess with their mouth and demonstrate fruit in their life that Jesus is their Lord and master. That is who communion is for. And so if that is you, I would invite you in a moment to just come up and to remember the body and the blood of Jesus shed for us, looking to Jesus, our founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, who is now seated at the right hand of power at the throne of God. Let's pray together. While I pray, I would invite Uh, those who will be serving communion to come forward. And when I'm done praying, I'm gonna lead us in a song and you are welcome believer at any point in time to come and to take of the bread and the cup in remembrance of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we always thank you for your word. We always thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us to understand it and pray, God, that as we've seen in this word, I pray, Lord, that you would empower your church. Well, first convict, first lead us to repentance and forgiveness and the enjoyment of our uh, being your possession in Christ. Let us do that. But let us also take of the bread and the cup in remembrance of Christ with this prayerful commitment that, Lord, we will endure conflict within the church, standing upon the gospel together, coming back to Christ always, always, always Christ. And together, we will, by your emboldening power, engage conflict alongside the church in the world, Lord, for the merciful Revelation to them that one, that they, if they do not come to you, are facing destruction. And two, we are truly yours when we feel that opposition, when we, when we are faced with that opposition. So Lord, these things that we have come to understand in your passage, this passage today, God, implant in our hearts, convict us, and then embolden us to walk in them and to bear the name of Christ and his righteousness in all the world. We pray this and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.